The R32 Nissan GTR is one of the most iconic cars to come out of Japan and we're here with what in my opinion is one of the standout vehicles from the 2022 SEMA show. This is an absolute work of art and we're here with Josh from Driver Motorsports to find out a little bit more about it. Welcome to High Performance Academy's Tuned In Field Report podcast series. In these special midweek episodes, we look back through our archives to find the best conversations we've had through years worth of attending the best automotive events across the globe. We've pulled the audio from these tech-filled interviews with some of the industry's most well-known figures and presented it in podcast format for you to enjoy as a quick hit of insider knowledge. So Josh, we're pretty used to seeing these vehicles on the streets in New Zealand. They're pretty common, not so much over here in the US, but they're growing in popularity. How hard is it to get hold of one for a start? So for us, it's kind of a, a blessing. So working at Driver Motorsports, we are a Japanese importer, so that's what we primarily do. And it started as importing GTRs as a sole standalone car. And as those cars got harder and harder to find and more and more expensive, we branched out and started seeking other JDM makes. So it's, it's pretty nice working for a company that we can get them when we want them. Perfect, because they're not getting any more common, that's that's for sure. Okay, let's start with the engine bay because that's an obvious standout with this vehicle. The RB26 base engine that came in the GTR is very well known and well respected, but it's also not short of its set of issues if you want to build a powerful and reliable one. So talk us through the build here. What did you start with in terms of a base engine block? Okay, so we started with an RB30. We figured, hey, we want to go with a bigger displacement. We want to make some power. And we wanted to really, you know, shore it up with some structure to make sure that it could actually take those kind of torque numbers that we were thinking about making. Obviously, you know, there's a lot of parts that we could throw at it, and we were pretty keen to use the Nitto 3.2 stroker kit. Um, we'd seen good results with those Nitto kits in the past, and we'd like, you know what, we love this kit. We're going to use it. So that coupled with some uh, other goodies on the inside, we were like, hey, you know what, this is a winning combo. We're going to go with it. Now, the RB30 block is obviously nothing particularly unusual in terms of hybrid RB builds. In stock form, it's a pretty ordinary engine and definitely not one that was ever designed with the intentions of making maybe seven, eight hundred, a thousand plus horsepower. So other than the stroker kit, the Nitto kit you mentioned, which is crankshaft, conrods, pistons, what other changes are necessary in the bottom end to keep a RB30 block alive at higher power? Certainly. So we retain the all-wheel drive function in this. So we used a PRP block brace that, you know, obviously was machined with some some precision care and took it to our machiner for the align honing and getting everything really dialed in for our bearing clearances that we liked. And again, that structural rigidity to keep the all-wheel drive, the extended oil sump to make sure that we have plenty of flow to all the Nitto pumps and goodies. Like really, we think we addressed all of the uh, the shortfalls that the 26 would have. Okay. So that's really in terms of tying the bottom end together. So it's an adapter plate that adapts to the four-wheel drive sump, correct? Correct. And we're also using the one that integrates the main caps. So it's not... That's the other part. The integration with the main caps, basically tying that whole bottom end together and preventing everything moving. That's the important part. Now, you just mentioned uh, oil control briefly there with the extended sump. And this is another area where the RB has... Let's be honest, it's fair share of issues. So uh, you're still wet sump on this, I take it? Still wet sump. We weren't really sure if we were going to go with a uh, complete different change in kit, but it is something that we're going to look to do in the future. But this was primarily built as a street car, so we weren't trying to get full race on it and kind of stay within the owner's budget, even though we spent a considerable amount of time and money on this thing. 
no doubt. I mean, obviously, if the car's a track-based car with high lateral and longitudinal G-force, dry sump is, is kind of a no-brainer. But as you mentioned, for a street car, properly designed wet sump uh, works really well. The factory oil pumps on the RBs are well known to shatter if you go above about 8,000 RPM. So that Nitto oil pump is a factory replacement that gets around that problem? It does, absolutely. So we are we are pretty happy using those pumps, even on standard 26 builds. And we look to move to like the sign drive or some of the more more intricate collars to get rid of those series one crank issues that that people are kind of plagued with and then on top of that we'll make sure and try to build to a high vibration standard to keep those things from breaking themselves apart you know just diving back into that a little bit, you, you mentioned the, the problems with the first generation RB26 crankshaft and, and that's because it doesn't have full engagement in the factory oil pump, which is obviously a, a source of failure. When you go to the bullet crank from Nitto though, no longer a problem no, with that no anyway. Longer, no longer an issue with that. So it's definitely a nice piece and we swear by it. It's one of the most common things that we do in our, with our upgrades in the RB26 platform. Now, the oil control, just staying on this for a moment, uh, one of the problems is, is the pump, and obviously we've talked about an extended sump to get more oil capacity in there. One of the problems with the high revving nature of the RB engines, though, is sustained high RPM pumps a lot of oil up into the cylinder head. doesn't necessarily do a great job of getting that back into the sump, so you can literally run the sump dry. How are you dealing with that particular issue? So in most of the cases with those, we'll put the restrictors in the head to kind of slow that flow down, and then we're also running the Nitto, the head return. So everything that runs back to the sump gets everything uh, is flowed back down as quickly as possible. So those restrictors basically reduce the volume of oil flowing up to the head because it is a mechanical lifter arrangement so you don't need high oil flow and then the external oil drain from the head back to the sump to help get that oil back where it should be. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's kind of a, a go-to. I think a lot of people are running those and if they don't, they, they'll find out why pretty quickly, I think. So. In terms of the RB30, another element uh, with that block, particularly in these R32 chassis where they're a little bit smaller, is that they are a taller block. Are there any sort of problems around fitment uh, with the engine with that taller block? Absolutely. So with the 26 head being placed on, it does raise the engine up quite a bit with that taller deck. And we've addressed that by using a roughly 7 mil spacer that uh, we got from uh, Platinum Racing Products. And, you know, that brings that whole subframe down and now it solves our problem. So other than that, really hood choice is going to be the other thing with our mechanical fuel pump, making sure that we don't have any, uh, any clearance issues there. But We'll come back to the mechanical fuel pump as we go further through this, this sort of tech discussion, tech tour. I and mean, one of the elements I just want to focus on is how much easier it is now to build a car like this. And I'm not taking away from the effort that's gone into it, right. but the products like you mentioned there, the off-the-shelf sump plates, the off-the-shelf uh, spaces for the subframes. I mean, years ago when people started modifying these, uh, unfortunately we didn't have access to those components. So definitely a lot easier. Now the bottom end really is there to generate capacity and, and hold the power but the head is really the, the key for airflow in and out and the key to making that power so talk us through uh, the head package on this okay so this one is a standard rb26 head that we did a full like pocket port and did a lot of a lot of metal work in there to keep the flow as, as tight as we could get it it's got all super tech valve train with the heaviest springs we could get our hands on all titanium retainers and and such the cams are billet gscs and 286 on both sides and again we're running kelford cam gears to to give us some adjustability as far as dialing in that torque range where we want it. So. Okay, so we can't really talk about the head without sort of considering the flow, which is the turbocharger as well. So what is the turbo that you're using? So we got a Precision, and I think it's a 70, 7685 is what we're running on the back of there. And we've seen those turbos make in excess of 1,000 horsepower, and, and we felt like that was going to be the combo that would work the best for us. So. 
And what sort of power band in terms of RPM usability range were you aiming for? So we think the head's built to take, you know, a considerable amount of revs, but we want to kind of limit it to 8,500, 9,000 to keep her in a safe range. We know the power is going to kind of fall off on that big end. Um, but with the amount of flow and, and torque that this thing makes down low, we're expecting, you know, with our pump gas tune right now, we're around the neighborhood of 650 horsepower. And then with E85, we're up around 1,100. And then it's on a nitrous kit. So we're looking at 1,400 total horsepower. Let's talk about boost levels to, to get those two power levels for pump gas and E85. What, what are you using? So we initially started, we were in like the 15 to 18 horsepower range to get some some good power on the on the pump gas. For 15 to 18 PSI yes, range? I, correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know you guys do the, the KPA and it always messes me up when I'm looking at that stuff. And then we're looking, you know, high 20s to even 30 pounds to get it up to, uh, you know, more more power than that. But definitely on the corn. So we, we got some more tuning work to do. We had to kind of cut our tuning short. We didn't get to do our flat shifting some of our gear didn't come in in time. It arrived in Virginia today. So we're going to get her back home and we'll do the full full tilt tune and, and make that big number. So we don't intend for it to be a dino queen. We intend for this thing to be legitimately all show and all go and make it work. Do you want to take your car knowledge game to the next level? Join us in the next free lesson at hpacademy.com slash free and start developing your own skills today. One of the issues with the electronics side of the RB engines, and this actually goes for a lot of the Nissan range of engines, is the trigger inputs to the ECU. These are really problematic. These engines and stop form use a 360 degree optical sensor that's, that's mounted off the camshaft and without going too far into it is really problematic, particularly when we start modifying the engine with more aggressive cams, heavier duty valve springs, etc. And uh, that can cause all sorts of tunability issues to the point where the engine essentially can't run. What has been your solution to that specific problem? When uh, I first started tuning the RB platform, I never really understood like the whole belt stretch and the way that optical sensor would kind of like back and forth move and cause all kind of issues. But again, I wasn't building cars that were making excess of 500 horsepower. So it was kind of nominal. But once we started making cars that were making excess of 500 wheel horsepower, we knew like, hey, we got to solve this trigger issue. And PRP has been our solution to that. So we're using, you know, their street kit on this car and, you know, working with Herman over at PRP. He's been a legend as far as sending us the stuff that we need or the support that we need to get these cars set up. So that's the win for us is the, the electronic trigger kit through PRP. So safe to assume that that's converting it to a crank trigger where the engine speed signal is coming directly from the nose of the crankshaft? Correct. And then we're using the single tooth home up on the cam to kind of reset that cycle. Now that uh, synchronization or home input in, in Haltech speak is required there to actually let the ECU know which engine cycle it's on, which is critical for direct spark as well as sequential fuel injection. So that's why we see that there is still a pickup on the, the front of the exhaust camshaft there. Looking at the front of the, the engine, you've also got the mechanical pump that you alluded to there. And we see this really commonly used in high output drag cars. What was your, your driver there to, to go to that mechanical pump rather than some of the bigger ethanol capable uh, electric pumps? So at first we were going to go all electric and then we realized that with the, the Nexus system that we were utilizing so many channels, we almost maxed the thing out and we're going to need to add an additional PDM to add more electrical pumps. So we felt like using the you know OE position lift pump to the surge an external tank to get us to the mechanical would solve you know a lot of our issues so doing lots of homework and research and you know checking out what you guys are doing we figured out hey this is going to be the best potent combo to make power and it keep fuel pressure at the rail under hard launch you know 
So, I mean, a lot of drag cars we see run just the mechanical pump, but some of these pumps, and it's very hard to make a blanket statement, certainly not all of them, uh, can struggle at cranking speed to actually generate enough pressure to actually supply the fuel into the engine. So the electric pump to lift the fuel to the mechanical pump, I assume that's how you're getting around that problem? That's correct. So, yeah, we're, we're going from the, the main intake pump to the surge and then that external pump to keep the, uh, the mechanical full. And we're using a 20, like a dash 20 solid metal line down the entire length of the car to kind of almost make like that surge tank up forward because we didn't have the engine bay room to really put a surge in the engine bay and it look aesthetically pleasing. Now, the mounting of that is, is quite interesting. I mean, you've got the mechanical pump driven off the front of the intake cam. And as I understand it, talking off camera, this is a, a product that Driver Motorsports is, is making as well. This is a one of one so far? Correct. Yeah. So there's lots of things on this car. The, uh, the turbo manifold itself is completely made in-house. There's a lot of very unique things that Devin, our master fabricator, threw his brain to. And when we started looking at buying off-the-shelf parts, they didn't fit with some of the, the theme that we were going with. So Dan, our sales manager, is a CAD wizard, and he kind of created a, uh, a mock-up design, and we had it locally cut and machined down. And when we put it on, it hit all the wickets. You know, we knew that this is something that we were going to look to market. But again, there's not many people that are after something like this. So at this present time, it is a one of one, but certainly available if somebody wants it. Fine. Fair enough. So uh, let's talk about the rest of the drivetrain. If you're sort of aiming for a thousand plus horsepower, the stock 32 box uh, might not last too long. So what have you got going on in there? So we've got a Hollinger sequential six-speed in this with a Driveshaft Pro uh, single-piece driveline and then uh, Driveshaft Shop 2,000 horsepower axles and then roughly 2,000 horsepower three-piece clutch to really hold all that down. So we think we, we nailed it down. In terms of that Hollinger, it's quite nice because for a very long time, Hollinger actually have been making a specific six-speed sequential version of their box that bolts up to the existing Nissan transfer case, which is the key to retaining the four-wheel drive, correct? Correct. So previous R32s that we built, we did a Samsonis sequential, which we really, really loved. But there was a lot of extra machining required to make that work in a four-wheel drive configuration that wasn't outside of our capability, but it definitely was something we weren't really ready for when that first came to our shop with this one because it uses a lot of the the oe nissan stuff it blew our mind that it was so user-friendly in installation and that uh, i mean the hardest thing we had was determining what shift shift knob to run you know it's a huge problem. In terms of the four-wheel drive transfer case, this is, again, quite unique in the, the R32 or the Nissan GTR world uh, and the way that works with the sort of the hydraulic linkage or clutch, I guess you call it. Uh, are you using the factory Atessa system for controlling it or are you doing anything specific there with the four-wheel drive control? So it does maintain all-wheel drive capability, but we're using the Nexus. Kind of, I've developed our own like torque split, so to speak, where it's push-on, push-off. So... It will drive like a normal, you know, 3.2 GTR where it's rear wheel biased. And then when you decide you need that all wheel drive, it will not automatically send power to the front. You have to initiate it, in which case, so if you know you're in drag mode and you want to launch, you turn it on. And then I have it set in the Nexus so that, you know, after a certain wheel speed, it will turn itself off and be rear wheel only. So essentially only used for the hard launch and everything, everything else is rear wheel only. And that's something we're seeing a lot of the uh, those who are dedicated to drag racing this platform doing doing something similar, albeit potentially in different ways. We'll talk just a little bit about the uh, electronics. You've mentioned a couple of times now the, the Nexus R5. So this is quite unique uh, in terms of ECUs. Can you tell us about its capabilities? So 
we weren't sure what we were getting ourselves into with this. This is the first car that we built with the Nexus platform. And as PDM started to come out and we were learning a lot about solid state uh, relays and such, we were like, hey, look, this thing's awesome. It's, it's the cutting edge from Haltech. We want to give it a go. We were very intrigued at the idea that everything on this car works with no relays, no fuses, no no nothing for that matter. So as we built this car, everything from the electric AC, the electric power steering, the turn signals, the headlights, like all of it runs through the through the Nexus. We were blown away at its capabilities. So, so that also allows you when you're building a, a car with a high level of attention to detail for the show element to strip away all of the ugly factory fuse boxes, et cetera, relays and, and really start from scratch with a hidden harness. That's correct. So again, you know, throwing the shout out to you guys, we did the the wiring fundamentals course and a lot of the training from there it's all mil spec concentric twisted wiring and it's all done to a bulkhead connector and everything is just as tidy and tight as it can possibly go and uh, i mean we absolutely love it i think uh, devin again our fabricator spent about a week laying out and itemizing where everything was going to go and i oversaw that project because it was something that i'd done previously it was his first time and it came out flawless like we couldn't be happier with the way that worked out Oh, perfect. I'm glad the, the courses were helpful to you there as well. Relatively fresh build. What, what's next in the future for it? Is there any finishing touches required or is it just a case of kicking back and enjoying it? So we want to kick back and enjoy it, but we're definitely not done. There's still some more things that we want to tidy up. So Brad, uh, you know, Rival32 is the owner of this car and he wanted to take possession of it. This is the first time he's seen it in three years since we began this build. So his Unveil was very emotional. We were very excited about that, but we had some some high power tuning left to do and some things that we wanted to tidy up before he takes full possession. And he's from the Utah area, so the elevation is much different. So we want to get it dialed in and get it up to him where he can have a local tuner kind of recalibrate for some of that elevation change and send it on his full run. So he does intend on uh, roll racing this car. So it should be pretty potent. Yeah. Look, Josh, it's been great to get a little bit more background on the car. It really is a credit to you and everyone else that has been involved with it. So thanks for taking some time to chat to us about it. Oh, I appreciate it. I mean, the team at Driver Motorsports, like a bunch of great guys, we're, we're more friends than we are a bunch of coworkers. So it's nice to be able to go to a place, put our collective thoughts together to make something like this and get to represent here at SEMA. Absolutely. Thanks, Josh. Thank you. If you enjoyed this podcast, please feel free to leave a review on whatever platform you've chosen to listen to it on. It goes a long way to help us getting the word out there. All these conversations and much more are also available in full on our High Performance Academy YouTube channel, so make sure you subscribe. It's a one-stop shop when it comes to going faster, stopping quicker, and cornering better.